Man, we had just one week away because of the snow, and it feels like we've been away for weeks. It's amazing. It's funny, man. I heard somebody, I was in the other room, I heard someone come in the doors and say, I missed my church. And um, that's special. Just want to pray one more time, just welcome the Lord in here. Lord, we thank you that this is your house. We thank you, God, that as your word says, where two or more are gathered together, you're there in the midst of us. Lord, we thank you that in this building, Lord, we thank you that you're here because you're with us. It's not about the building. We take the building away, but you're here with us. This building's not the church. We are. Lord, we just welcome you again, Lord. We welcome you into this place. We thank you, God, that you have put us together. Lord, we pray you'd speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about such a special story in the Bible. We find this theme from from cover to cover in the Bible. The theme is this. Starts out at Genesis and ends in Revelation. And the theme is that our humanity, our flesh, wants to do what it wants to do, right? I don't have to tell you that. We like doing things our way. And I've said before, that's not just New Yorkers. It's the whole world. We like doing things our way. We want to do things our way. That's just humanity. And that's been the same thing that's been going on since time began. And it will go on until things are wrapped up. I believe that God's wrapping things up, but they've been saying that for the church has for thousands of years, hoping. So it's a healthy thing. The Bible tells us it's healthy to look for his coming. It's part of us being believers is to hope for his coming. Whether he comes here first or we go there really doesn't matter. God's moving forward regardless. He's moving forward and we will be with him together as his church for all eternity. And this story that happened in Genesis right at the very beginning is the story of God and man and an enemy. All those parts are in that story. You take out one part, it doesn't make sense. The reality is, is that God made you. He loves you. He made you in his very image, the Bible says. It means he made you not just to look like him, but the image describes his his nature. It means that our love and our compassion and our thinking and figuring and those things can get us into trouble too. But those things are God's nature put inside of us. And we know, and we've taught about this, that when you put that nature back into his nature, you surrender, then those emotions and those thoughts are not a bad thing. But without him, right, we can run wild. We can do some crazy, weird stuff. We just get funny without God. And that's just human nature. And there's an enemy alongside of your walk that's trying and prodding to get you to do what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do. That will be that story until the end. That's the same story. Now, technology changes. The languages are different. The cultures are different. But it's the same story in the entire world from the beginning of time until the end of time. But the Bible tells us of people who decided, I'm not going to do things my own way. They laid it all down, risked their lives many times, and many times actually didn't just risk it, but actually paid it to do the right thing, to do what God asked of them. But they saw a reward that is beyond this earth. Many times the rewards of God for you being a believer, for you just being a faithful Christian your whole life, many times uh, the rewards that God has for you aren't even in this earth. You won't see them. They're eternal. In one respect, 
you'll actually get to see it in eternity. And in the other respect, things on this earth that you won't see, like being, deciding to be a good dad, raising your children in the Word of God. And you're long and gone, but a fourth-generation grandchild decides to become a preacher because it was put in them and put in them and put in them. And we see that that's really following God is, is about trusting Him. It's about leaning on Him. It's about not doing things your way when that's what your nature wants to do. But when you do, God will never, ever fail you. And there's always a godly outcome. Whether you see it or not, He has a purpose that He is producing. Whether in this earth or eternal, it doesn't really matter. God is doing something. And many times we wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? What's your purpose in this? What's your plan in this? Many times we just feel like we're just kind of stuck in life. Sometimes we feel like we've been put somewhere. We didn't decide to get here. We don't even know how we got here. I want to open to a story, and it's crammed right in the middle of the Bible. Now, it's the book of Esther about a woman named Esther. And this story is, in, in history, what happened is the people of Israel, just like human nature had always done, the people of Israel decided, God, we know better. I know better. And God had kept warning them. And they kept turning back. And he kept warning them. And they kept turning back to him. But there came a time where they just stopped turning back. They just stopped. There were few there were a few that turned, but the overall Israel just turned their back on God, went their own way. Now, God is gracious, and He's merciful, and He's loving, and He's compassionate, but He's also just. At some point, God has to judge. If I, as a parent, saw my son talking back to his mother, which happens... And I just kept letting it happen and kept letting it happen and kept letting it happen and never dealt with it. Would I be a good father? No, thank you. Eventually, my grace and mercy runs out. Does that mean that there's any lack of love for my son? Absolutely not. It's because of love that I'm going to deal with him. So God's love dealt with Israel. And he said... I have to take you from everything you've known, everything you loved. This is punishment. It's very clear in the Bible. It's not confusing. And if you try to run from the punishment, you're just going to die. Those that tried to run to Egypt and they tried to escape God's punishment, their lives were over. But he said, if you submit, just endure the punishment. I remember as a kid, my brother... He was one that dragged the spanking experience out for like an hour. <laughs> big, you know, giant cry, you know, this big thing. I'd come in, just be like, all right. <laughs> all right, I know I was wrong. It's done. It's finished. God's like, listen, you submit. I have to punish you because I'm, uh, I'm just. But you, you go through the process. God, in only the way that God can, says, even in your punishment, you submit you're going to go off to a land called Babylon. But if you stay there and just, and even pray for that city, I'll bless you there. It's a punishment and it's going to, you're not going to be free. You're not going to be on your own. You're not going to be in your own land. I'm going to pull you from there. I'm going to put you somewhere else. Time out. Put you in the corner, so to speak. I'm going to punish you. But after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back out. Now, who knows when God says something, he means it. He means it. That goes both sides. He meant this is really going to happen. But also, what does it mean? God's promise is coming. If God said in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back out, he meant it. Now, Esther is right in the heat of this time. It's like we don't know the exact moment, but we're getting towards the time where they've, Babylon had taken the Israelites out and some 
wars had broken out between that region. And now the Persian Empire had come in and conquered Babylon, conquered that empire. Now we're in the Persian Empire and we're just about to the end of their time in captivity. And um, the Jews were inside of this kingdom, this Persian kingdom, and it was a huge kingdom. They had 120 provinces, but they were not, this is not their homeland. They're foreigners. They're there because God sent them there, punishing them, but God's still with them. And um, already, I don't know if your mind starts spinning like mine does, when I'm hearing Bible stories, I'm already looking at the similarities, analogies, I'm thinking, I don't know if your mind's going this way, but we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We were in the garden in the beauty and the perfection of God, but our sin brought us out of that place, put us into the world we live in today. That has captivity, that has burdens, it has struggles, but we've decided and we've realized that if we submit to God, that even in this time, right, we can, he's, he told them as a promise in Jeremiah, you pray for this place, pray for this city, that for it to prosper and you will prosper. And we've realized as Christians, right, that even in this world, we pray, we stand with God, we decide that even though this place is dark, that they don't want anything to do with you, I've decided, I'm your people, we're going to trust you, and God is with us, isn't he? And he's proven himself over and over again that as we continue to do that, that he, his favors for us. So we get into this story. It starts, you know, there's the only, the thing about the Bible that's amazing is that there is so many levels and layers to the Bible. You can look at one story and look at it factual and get something from it. You can also look at the Bible stories, and you can look at uh, who the king represents, who the queen represents, who this person represents, who that represents, and the Lord will, can speak multiple layers and facets through any story. And I heard a preacher joke once that as Christians, we're constantly comparing ourselves to, to David fighting the bear and the lion and Goliath. And it's like, I can't pay my mortgage. And we're comparing ourselves. It's funny. It's okay to do that. But it's funny how we can take, really, the truth is there. We're not fighting bears and lions or Goliaths, but it can feel like that. And the truth is there that, hey, listen, you stay faithful. And guess what? Goliath, you're coming down. Guess what? This bill, these things, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to lean upon God and God's going to take care of me. And we see that. So in the book of Esther, it's no different. There are so many analogies. There's so many layers and levels to this story. We've got a king. Jesus is the king of kings. And we've got a queen. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ, the church. And we've got an adversary, his name is Haman, who's trying to destroy us. Sounds a lot like the analogy of, the, of our real Christian lives, isn't it? But today I want you, with enough intro, want to just look at it in the facts level. That you can keep that in your mind. I'd encourage you, to, it's only 10 chapters to go and read the book of Esther. It's an amazing story just to, to see God in this story, but I want to look at just the facts of this story today and see God. All right, everybody with me. So the story starts with this king. His name is, the Hebrew calls him King Ahasuerus. You would know him in history, and the NLT um, writes him as King Xerxes, who has seen the movie 300. No Christians, raise your hand. But that's Xerxes. Or his son, Artaxerxes, it's one of the two. We're not exactly sure. This is real history. This was a real king over a real empire, the Persian Empire, Xerxes. And the story starts that this guy's having, they're going to go to war. It's a war season. He's about, to, he's about to go to war again, and they have this massive banquet. And in, during the banquet, he says to his, his, his uh, fellow, he's got some guys around him, and he's like, listen, my wife is the hottest girl in town. 
and I want to show her off. So he says, calls for the queen, says, I want to I show off her beauty. She denies him and says, I'm not coming. Now, we let, it's a, first of all, no man likes that. But this is a very masculine, very male-to-head, women-below-the-male culture. I mean, even to this day, if you go over to the Persian area, right? So, you know, he's furious. And his, his nobles and the people around him say, you know, you can't let this slide. You let this slide, every woman in the city, in the whole empire, is going to say, well, if she did, the queen doesn't have to come to the king, I'm not coming. So he puts out a decree. They have a decision that says that, he, that she can never be seen ever again. We're going to tell this empire, for, you know, we're going to, and especially because we're about to go to war, we don't want to show our weakness. And so she can never be seen by you again. She's no longer queen. So he goes back into a wartime, but it says over time, history says about four years, he started thinking about his queen. He missed his queen. So they came up with a plan. You can never, one of the things about a Persian law is you cannot reverse it, cannot be reversed, period. And that's part of the story of Esther we see later on. So as a, as a way to have a queen again, they say to him, Listen, why don't we search the empire? We'll gather up a whole bunch of young virgins and you'll pick one. We're going to have beauty contest. You're going to pick a new queen. So they go through this process and the, I'm going to pick up in the book of Esther. We're going to pick up in, the, uh, in chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 5. It says... At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shemai. His family had been among those with King Jehoiachin of Judah and had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the story we were just talking about. Now, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin. Now, I want to just, as we go through the story, I want to make, have you make a few notes. The Bible says that she was very beautiful. It doesn't say that she made herself very beautiful. It doesn't say that she went through a hundred hours of plastic surgery and became beautiful. It says she was Beautiful. What is this telling us right now? This was God-given beauty. This is who she was. She was born beautiful. And her name was Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Now, she's called Esther by the Persians, but Hadassah was her Jewish name. And the name Hadassah, I'm going to make a point about this, but I want you to remember it. It means myrtle, myrtle plant. And it's... Uh, it was her name, obviously, that she was born with, given. So this is who she is. She's named Queen Esther. But her, her identity, who she is, is Myrtle, a plant. All right. I'm going to make a point about that, but I want you to remember. Now, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Verse 8, as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. The new King James says that she pleased him and she obtained his favor. Now listen, I'm giving you some key words. I'm going to get somewhere. She was born beautiful, so she was picked because, not because she decided to be beautiful. She was picked because this is who she is. Sometimes you have been brought, you're in, she was, remember, she was a captive. She was a, uh, not a slave, but you're allowed to live, but this is not their home. This is not their nation. This is not her identity. But sometimes God knows what he's doing. Sometimes God's got a plant. 
I just, I couldn't believe it when I found out her name was Myrtle. It's a plant. Come on. God's got a plant and he's going to use something. He's got you planted somewhere on purpose, even though the whole thing looks like, well, we shouldn't be here. It's a mistake that we're here at all. It's because of sin that we're here. Wow. You ever get somewhere in your life because of sin, but God's still got a plan? That's pretty amazing. And it says that she was treated kindly, that she obtained favor, and it says that he quickly ordered a special menu. God's got something special for his people. God's got something special for his plant. He's got a plan for her. He's got a plan for you. And it says that he provided her with beauty treatments, and he also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Now, so far in this story, does it say anything about Esther's character? Anybody seeing anything about how, how much of, a, of uh, a godly woman she is? Did you guys see any of that? Is there anything about her? This is where she starts. She literally started right here in verse five. This is it. This is her story. So far, we're reading that she's a beautiful woman and that she had favor. God given favor and moved her. God moved her into the best place. Listen, when people are doing things for you in your life, it's God. God's in control. God is in control. And we don't know what and where and why yet, but he's doing something. And it says in verse 10 that Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. And every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Now, she goes through some preparation, and there's great sermons in that. Uh, maybe you'd hear one from me or you've heard one before. We're not going to look at all that today because I want to get through this whole story. But she gets through, goes through the preparation time. She's prepared, and it says in verse 15 that, uh, when it was Esther's turn to go into the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai. Haggai told her, you know, listen, this is what's going to make him happy. They can bring something, can dress a certain way. And she asked for nothing except what he suggested. See, God had put, in favor, had put favor on her, and she trusted that God was doing something, that God was in control. And he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. It says in the New King James that she obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And it says in verse 16 that Esther was taken to, the king, to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the 17th year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. It says he was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. It says again in verse 17 of the New King James that she obtained grace and favor in his sight. So Esther becomes queen. She literally, you know, this has been compared so many times to a Cinderella story. This is, you have to picture, this is a nobody. She doesn't, they don't even know that she's a Jew at this time. This is a nobody. This is a foreigner becoming the queen. Now, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know so, that you can't get into our political system without going through some massive, where I'm just trying to be careful because we're, it's talking about all this stuff today, but let's put it this way. It takes being an American to be a president. We'll just leave it at that, right? This is a foreigner getting put at the highest level, queen to the king, queen. Now, listen, when you're, when you're reading in the word and you see words like favor, it's significant. You don't become queen to the king by accident. And you didn't become that because you decided to make yourself beautiful. You don't choose so many times who you are. 
You can't choose sometimes who you're born as. You can't choose those things. Sometimes God's just got a plan for you. Now we're going to find out in a moment in her story that you can choose what you do with what he gave you. That is your choice. It'll be your choice to choose what you do with the favor God gave you. But you don't choose to be born the way you are sometimes. Now, you are not born, listen, you're not born, even though we're born with the tendency to sin, right? You are not born that person you choose to be as a sinner. That was your choice to reject God and choose your sin. There is choice. But who knows as Christians here today that when you surrendered that will and you gave God your heart, the very same person that's born, that's you, has a totally different call and walk in God, don't we? And God will start positioning you immediately Many times that choice hasn't even happened yet. We get to places in, life, in our life and we wonder how we're here and, and then we get saved and then sometimes we want to leave the life we're in. If it's a life of sin, then so be it. But if sometimes God's got you exactly where he wants you. I've heard all kinds of things about we need businessmen in, you know, we need Christian businessmen. We need a Christian president. We need Christians in, po in politics and in, and in the culture. We need Christians there. I don't think that we should set out as a Christian to become somebody. What I see when you look at the word, really from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, it was the exact opposite. It was people that had no intention they just ended up, I and mean, we've got a whole list of them, but just to name one, we've got Daniel, just like this story. Same thing. God just put something on him. Now, he made some choices, right? Remember the lion's den? He made a choice to stay godly, to, to, to be committed to who God made him to be, but God just put something on him, and that's who he was. And God put him, he placed him into the political arena. He never tried to become that. He didn't care about that. It's just what God had for him. So here we are with Esther. She's become queen in chapter two. But it says in chapter three, verse one, that sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagites, over all the nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. And all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused. Remember, Mordecai's the cousin. He's not in the palace, but he's somewhere within the gate. It looks like maybe he was one of the guys, uh, an official there. We're not exactly sure, but he's down here by the gate and the king had commanded, but he said he refused to bow down. And the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? And they spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai, listen, had told them he was a Jew. So right away, Cinderella story, we could read chapter one and chapter two and think, wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing story that God took us, can take you. He'll take you out of the pit, right? We've heard all the sermons, take you out of the pit and put you in the palace. He can take you from your life of addiction, take you from those, the drugs, the alcohol, from your lust, from your will against God, and he can place you in the palace. He can place you as queen to the king in this world. But Esther's got eight more chapters. Why? Because the thing about Esther is the same thing about every character in the, in the entire Bible, that God is doing two things at once with us. Number one is that he's restoring us back to the garden, which was just a relationship with mankind, with just to, to know us, to know you intimately. That's really what a picture of, what the picture of this chapter one and chapter two is, that God's restoring. He will take you out from 
the life that the enemy had planned for you to take you from all your faults and your flaws and those things, and, and he'll place you somewhere. But the second half to our purpose on this earth is that in that purpose and really only with that purpose and knowing God and in him being the first and him being the center is that then another purpose comes out of us. The Bible says that the seed, the word of God is like a seed. And when it's planted inside you, there's different soils within your heart. And the Bible says that the soft, tender, the soil that receives his word and lets it grow, it's going to sprout out of you. We see in the Bible a metaphor of fruit. Fruit will come out of your life. You can't make the fruit grow. You can plant an apple seed and grow an apple tree, but you can't make that fruit grow. And so God is placing you somewhere. God is doing something inside you with the word, but it's not to, that's not the end. If you never produce something out of what he did in you and in for you, and that's the same story through every single character in the entire Bible, if it never turns into fruit, then you're not finished. And it's, that's why Esther's not finished. And so in chapter three, we find that this, this antagonist comes along. Who knows that you have an antagonist? Who knows? Listen, here's what the Bible says. God created a plan. God had a plan. When he made the earth, God had a plan. Are we arguing with that or we agree? God had a plan. He knew what he was doing. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.19 that it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Verse 20, God chose him as your ransom. Listen to what the scripture says. Long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Jesus was purposed. God had a purpose long before the world even began. God had a purpose. And right alongside God's purpose, there's an enemy. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. New King James says, be sober, be vigilant. He says, watch out for your great enemy, or the New King James calling it your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As Christians, we need to be fully aware that God has a plan, but that there's also an enemy. If it was just, if there was no enemy, then really once he saved you, we would just have heaven on earth or just take you to heaven immediately. There's really the only reason that life continues is because there's an enemy It's not finished because there's still others that are captive. And, and in Esther, Esther made it. But it would be like us as a Christian saying, listen, I made it. And remember, all of Israel was led captive. All of Israel. But Esther made it. I'm saved. I've made it. That's not the end. If we think that because we've been saved, that that's the end, that we're finished, that that's complete. I mean, God's work inside of you is complete. But now he's got a purpose for what he did in you. He's got something for you to do for him. And that's what we see. So what happens is, to, just to breeze through, so I'm not reading all the 10 chapters, Haman says, because he won't bow down. And we don't know the exact reason, but the he says because he's a Jew. So there's either something, you know, the, the Bible's God had given the Jews the laws. Don't bow before anybody or anything. There's a difference between respect and bowing. This was, you can see it, that this was, you know, this guy, and we can, you can read the story, that Haman thought he was all that. He thought he was the king himself. If you read the story, you'll see that. So it wasn't just, a, you know, being respectful. This guy was demanding you to give him, like, you know, the kings then, they thought they were gods. Literally. And a lot of times the culture has looked at them like that. But Haman says, you know what? I hate you so much. Well, here's some metaphors. This is Satan. Satan says to God, I'll get you by getting your people. He says, I'm not going to just, you know what? I hate 
this so much, it makes me so enraged that I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. That's not enough. I want every single Jew to die. Now, remember when I started speaking that I said, when God says something, God means it. Is that right? What did God say was the promise? In 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. Now, before we finish this sermon, do we think, if you didn't know the story or not, do you think that Haman's going to succeed? Is Haman going to be able to destroy all the Jews if God said, listen, when God says something, God says it. And it's going to demand some faith as we see in Esther. What happens is, is not too long after that, um, uh, Mordecai finds out that Haman, this is what Haman's going to do, that Haman, and he's just, he's beside himself. And the message gets to Esther. And we can find that here in chapter 5. The, me the message gets to Esther that, listen, he's, this guy is on a mission. He's going to kill the Jews. And it says, I'm sorry, in chapter 4, right at the very end, it says uh, in uh, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 3, wow. And as the news of king's decree reached all the provinces, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and they fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. And when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was distressed. And isn't this funny? Wow. She says that she sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Queen Esther is in the palace. She's arrived. Her life's good. Man, God's done some amazing things in my life. And she sees her cousin in need, and she's not interested in, the, in why. It says that she tried to send him clean clothing. Isn't that funny? Sometimes that God has done so much for us, and we're like, oh, you know, here's some clean clothing. It's funny. God, I like God's stories. God's got a sense of humor. Come on. You know that he's, God's smirking when this story was written. It says, then Esther sent, he refused it. So she sent one of the king's eunuchs in verse five, and she ordered him to go find out what's going on. So in verse seven, Mordecai told him the whole story, including the, the amount of money. There was some money that was given to Haman to make this thing happen to kill the Jews. And verse eight, and he gave a copy of the decree to Esther. And, and finally, he says, in the, in the last part of verse eight here, go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. Go to the king. I got a plan. He's just totally distraught. But listen, go to the king. You're his queen. You've, you've been, God's done something. Come on, let's look at the analogies here. God's done something for you. There's, there's some authority. There's power in you. There's an ability. There's something within you. You have a purpose. There's something you can do. There's something you can do about this, Esther. Don't tell me there's nothing you can do about this. But she says in verse 10, go back and, re and relay this message to Mordecai, all the king's officials, and even the people in the provinces. No, everyone knows Everybody knows that you can't appear before the king without being invited. You're doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. And they gave the message to Mordecai. So Mordecai sends another message back in verse 13. And he says to Esther, don't think. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, come on, church. Thank you, Lord, that you've taken care of me. Listen, this is why we don't all retreat to a deserted island as Christians. We don't become islands right, from the world. It's not God's way. That's not what the church is. How many times do we have favor? God gives you favor. And, and I was thinking of the analogy. It's like 
It'd be like a car. And the builder shines it all up. Man, he really went to the, to the little tiny, little tiny parts of this thing to make it absolutely perfect. This is his baby. He's got this thing perfect. What's the first thing a person does with a show car? Come on, the name, the word is within the name. They show it off. Imagine this car being like, well, I'm finished. I'm complete. This is perfect. Thank you. I used to be ragged and now I'm whole. I used to be lost and now I'm found. Wow. Sounds familiar. Imagine that car saying, I refuse to drive you anywhere. I refuse to do anything for you. You've, you've done it for me and I'm thankful and just camping there. How long do you think that that builder will keep that car before he gets rid of it. In fact, Jesus remarks on this. He mar- remarks on this in the New Testament. He says in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 34, salt is good for seasoning. Salt is good. It's in Luke, chapter 14, verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor... How do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus talks about this type of Christian. Talks about the person that's been redeemed, been freed. He took you all the way from captivity and put you in a place of peace. Man, you've got people surrounding you with the goodness of God. You got the king's favor on you. You got favor everywhere you go. The favor, listen to the, ready? The favor is not for you. The favor is for others, but you get to reap the benefit of having it. God didn't say, listen, you're not going to be queen. You're not going to be queen. But she had to trust him. We come to this pivotal moment in her story, in the story of Esther, because it says, If you keep quiet, verse 14, Esther chapter 4, verse 14, if you keep quiet in a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Now, did I tell you that when God says something, he means it. And when God says he's going to do something, he'll do it. He would love for it to be through you. But God is still God and he's had a plan since the beginning of time and he will still be God when we're gone. And if we're not willing to submit to that plan, his position as God doesn't change, but our position as an outlet of his power and his glory will. It says that deliverance for, and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps, come on, this is the most famous scripture in the whole book of Esther. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Come on, church, each person here, you've been born for such a time as this. You may not know why you went into captivity. You may not know why your story went the way it did. You may feel like I shouldn't even be here. It was the sin of my parents' parents that put me here, etc. But all of a sudden, God does something in your life and revitalizes you and refreshes you and saves you for you to then say, well, let me just accumulate as much as stuff as I can because I'm a blessed, believing Christian and I'll just be queen here in the castle. Does that sound like the gospel? It doesn't sound like this story. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that, fine, we, we, I can skip ahead and tell you she stays queen. There's not one scripture that says she loses anything. But let's see what happens. It says in verse 15, Esther responds, okay, you got me. You got me. 
Man, the word's a sword, isn't it? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's a sword. Man, when the word's spoken, Mordecai was speaking the word of the Lord. Listen, you don't do this. Someone else is going to do it. You've been put here for a reason. You were born for a purpose. And if you just squander your purpose, God's still going to be God. And God will still save the Jews. God's going to do what he's going to do. But you can squander your purpose, but don't think you'll be saved. You're going to die when the rest of the Jews die. And that's the reality as Christians. If we don't use what he's given us, we're just wasting what he did for us. Listen, I'm going to say that again. If we don't use what he's given us, we're wasting what he did for us. And it says that Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Listen, the first thing that you do when you're going to start standing up, well, she does the right thing. She does the right thing. All right, God. But she doesn't try to do it in her own strength. This is key here. I'm not going to try to do things in my own strength. She digs into God. Fast for me. And I'm going to do the same, she says. For three days, me and even my maids. I'm even going to make my maids fast with me. And, and, uh, and then, though it is against the law, verse 16, I will go to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. Come on. God did something amazing for us, and we have to be so in love with him. We have to be so thankful for what he's done that, that the compassion for the rest of the people would be in us. If we don't have compassion for the world, but we're constantly just looking inward as Christians, then we're missing, we're missing something. Because what happens is if that true seed of the word gets planted in you, you can't help but sprout. It's not even a choice in you if it's real in you. And this is what would happen. We can hear Peter says the same thing and he does it. Jesus says the same thing. If I got to die for you, then so be it. If that's what it takes, she realizes that, you know what? I, I don't want to lose what I've got. I don't, wanna, I don't want to, to, things to change. This is great. But you know what? It's not about me. God put me here for a reason. God gave me favor for a reason. God freed me from my addictions for a reason. God took me out of that home and took me out of that culture and took me from my past and freed me and gave me a clear mind and gave me a body of believers standing around me and preserved a word for 2,000 years for me to read and consume and learn about him for a reason. And it says in, verse, in chapter 5, now we're going to come to the climax set. On the third day of the fast, Esther put, out her royal, put on her royal robes and she entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. And the king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he killed her. I mean, wait a second. <laughs> he saw her. <laughs> Everybody said, wait, what? Let me read that again. He welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Let me give you just one prophetic line from the Lord today. The Lord's scepter of favor is extended towards you today. The king is commissioning you. The king is welcoming you. The king is accepting you. And Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter in verse 3. The king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Just a little tidbit about Xerxes. This guy was such a fierce guy as, as king. He was such an, a crazy king that they were trying to cross one of the, the straits, one of the waterways over there by the Mediterranean. And you can look up the facts, but... They're trying to cross this, this big body of water. So he has all these bridges built so he can go to war. Well, a storm comes through and washes out all the bridges. This is history. And so he was so angry 
that he killed all the engineers that built it. Then he threw shackles. He had ordered that shackles be thrown into the water as punishment to the water. Then he ordered the waves whipped with 300 lashes. Then he had hot irons heated up and seared the water as punishment. This guy, now we've got this king. And what does it say here? What does favor, what does God's favor do for you? But only really, it's already on you. You notice that as believers, as Christians, that God just like the doors just open for you. But it's only when you take the step of faith, we don't even know what mountains, remember Jesus said it, you speak to that mountain, it will move. You don't even know, Peter, that you can walk on the water until you try it. But you got to be willing to risk it all. You have to just let go. You have to say, if I die, I die, no matter what. And there's so much more favor. I mean, the enemy is powerless against you. He cannot touch you when you set out with God's purpose. You have to believe it. You have to know it. Even if the plan was to die, then so be it. You fulfilled his purpose and the enemy couldn't stop it. But he says, this same guy, God knows how to get a man, doesn't he? Come on, men. God always gets a man with a woman. The same guy, this crazy king, man, God got him. What is your request? I'll give it to even half the kingdom. Whatever you want, baby. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for the king. Esther, she's making her moves now. Haman goes home. Haman actually, so they have a, a little lunch meeting. They have a banquet. Man, Haman's on cloud nine. He's like, man, I just ate with the queen and the king today. But as he's leaving the banquet, here's Mordecai, the guy in the, in the gate again. Is this okay for time? I know we're going real long. Are we okay for just another minute? Here's the, nobody said yes, so I'll just continue. So here's Mordecai in the gate again. And he's like, that's it. You know what? I'm all pumped up, man. I'm the man and I'm tired of this guy. Forget waiting to kill all the Jews. We're going to do that too, but you're dying today. So he goes home. His wife's like, listen, I want you to put up this big 75 foot high gallows and we're going to kill this. Let's just get rid of Mordecai. Comes back the next day. Another banquet with the queen and with the king. Here he is, man. This guy's the man, right? Comes in the next morning and, 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 but before they sit down and I'm just kind of speeding through, you guys can read all the details. He, the king says to, to Haman, hey, what would you do for someone who just the king loves and adores and deserves, someone who deserves respect in my kingdom? I'm paraphrasing. He's thinking, well, man, that's got to be me. He's like, man, I'd put robes on him. I'd give him, man, I'd give him king authority and I'd put him through the streets so everybody knows that this guy, the king loves this guy. Well, what he doesn't know is that in the middle of the night, come on, guys, that God knows what he's doing and God sets up moments at the exact time. God positions people. He positions moments. You just think it's chance. You just think it's chance. What he doesn't know is this. Let me tell you a side story. He doesn't know that sometime earlier, Mordecai sitting in the gate, random chance, right? Just being, just going through your life. Mordecai, who just happens to be the cousin to the queen. Come on, does God make, is there chance in God? Sounds like chance in the moment. It feels like just going through life in the moment. But God's orchestrating a grand plan in all of it. And this guy, Mordecai, in the moment, sitting at the gate, overhears that there's a plot to kill King Xerxes. He reports it to the king, and it gets logged. It was true. These guys, get they take those guys, and they execute them. It was true. But Xerxes, the night before this banquet, can't sleep, and for whatever reason, orders that the king's records, I heard someone say this is like, this would be like getting up in the middle of the night reading the phone book. Like why, you know, he just, why? God just knows what, God's got a plan. God knows what he's doing and he's positioning people 
and you have to use what he's put in you. You just have to be faithful. You know what? Mordecai could have stayed quiet too, just as Esther could have stayed quiet. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. You know what? It's not even my land. I'm a foreigner here. What do I care about King Xerxes? But he was, did the right thing, and God is about to honor him for it. The king can't sleep. He finds in the records that someone saved his life not too long ago and was never honored for it. So when Haman says to the king, what should we do? Xerxes says, perfect. Take Mordecai, the guy down by the gate, and that's exactly what I want you to do with him. Mordecai is, I mean, uh, Haman is just, he goes home to his wife and he's pale. She's like, it's not good for you. This is not good. Uh, she's like, just quit. You know what? Stop doing this thing against Mordecai. It's not going to be good for you. Well, to come back to the banquet again, speed just right to the end. Esther says, listen, it's Haman. That's what all this, I, I, I can't, I'm coming to you. This is what all my request is about. This guy is trying to kill me and my people. And the king takes Haman and the very gallows that was put for, that was made, the very things in your life that the devil has formed to destroy you. It's going to take some guts. It's going to take some we live by faith and not by sight moments. It's going to take using the favor and the position and the placement, whether you're at the gate, whether you're at the palace, whoever you are. That's why Jesus said to us in the New Testament, he said, man, uh, just if they tell you to go one, go two. Whatever you do, we can also read that the Bible says, do everything you do to please God, not for people anyway. And you live like that, God doesn't forget. It seems like what it got written down about you and got forgotten. And Mordecai doesn't come to Esther and go, you know what, why am I not getting promoted? Never says that. We don't see that in this story. But God puts you where you are. He placed you by the gate and placed you in the palace. Both people, if you were to look from the world's view, very different as far as, man, she must have done something right. He didn't do much right. He's at the gate. She's in the palace. Well, the Bible says that Haman's house and everything he owned got given. They killed Haman and his entire family. I know the Bible's brutal. Well, they killed his whole family too and put this guy who he hated in the very place the enemy had, the enemy had set up a plan against you and you're just trusting, you're just going, you're moving, you're staying integrous, you're staying humble, you're just going through and you're using what God gave you properly, using your favor and, these, and they're all, when we're all positioned, we're all doing what God's called us to do, we come to this climax in God's story and what the enemy planned for your destruction gets turned on his head. You get promoted. And the Bible says then, you know, that because he couldn't turn back, Xerxes can't reverse a law. So he says, she says, well, then let, give us permission to kill whoever tries to kill us. And they end up doing exactly that. And that's the story of Esther. What an amazing story of God coming through for people by using the place that he puts you and just recognizing sometimes we don't realize. I just, I, I see the king's scepter. I see God's favor extended towards his people. It's not just Christians, but even just even American Christians where we have it so easy. I, I mean, let's just be realistic. I'm, I'm being realistic. We have a very easy, it's a Christian versus somebody being a Christian in China where it's illegal still to this day to be a real Christian. You can go to churches, but you can't bring your Bible. You got to bring the state's Bible. And if they catch you, you're going to be in prison to this day. And then if you were in Afghanistan or in one of those hot zones, you're going to be killed for it. We have a very easy, as American Christians, we've been giving, given incredible favor from God. But the favor from God his scepter has been extended. He's given us peace and joy and hope and life and a good thing. And, and God never condemns Esther for being queen. He's not condemning you today for what he's given you. God gave it to you. And he's not asking you to give it up. Just be willing. Just be willing to not care about who you are, but care about the people more than you. And guess what? Most times, sometimes it is the purpose. Sometimes there are martyrs. There are martyrs. Sometimes that is the purpose. But 99% of the time, 
you still get to keep the favor he gave you. It gets actually multiplied and bigger and greater, but you're just really getting the extras. God gives you the scraps. The benefit was for the entirety of the race of the Israel people, the Jews, because who is about to come through them just a little bit later in time? Does anybody know? His name's on our back wall. God had a plan and the devil's not touching it, but it takes a people to stand up and be bold with what he's given you, not hold it and hide it and just live in, his, in, in him like this and just be glad that we're saved. That's not it. That's the first step and it's an amazing thing. That's an amazing story, but there's eight more chapters to your story. Amen? Let's stand and pray. I just want to pray, and then I just want you, we're going to close with the song here that we found. Uh, it's, if you listen to Christian radio, you're going to know the song, and it just speaks to us about this idea. But Lord, we just thank you that you've called us together. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you wrote this story just for us, Lord, so that we can read it and be reminded that, hey, you know what? There's a big world out there that still needs you. It's not finished. I still have air in my lungs. There's a job that I can do. I'm capable. If I can do it, Lord, then help me to do it. Lord, just as she did, she went to you first. Okay, let's fast and pray, Lord. We're not gonna go out and just kind of go and be wild and do because we're capable, but Lord, we're gonna get your plan. And Lord, when we do, just as you did in her story, we know, Lord, you're gonna line up our moments the same way. And it might feel like random chance during the day and in a season, but when we look back, as we all can right now, Lord, in our past life, Lord, we can see the pieces coming together in a way that only you could. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to you to continue to do with what you've given us, Lord, that this is not the end. Lord, keep giving us, Lord, keep giving us the, a fire in us, Lord, to keep being examples and lights and salt for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Small